We're going to be in the book of Revelation. I think we got to, we're ready for chapter 20, ain't we? Did we finish 19? I thought we did. All right, so we have just moved out of one of the final battles in chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon. And that's basically where all the kings of the earth are gathered together by the Antichrist and they are actually um, deceived by demonic spirits. Uh, and you can see that if you want to in Revelation chapter 16. It told us a little bit about it. About it. But look back at Revelation 16 and verse uh, 12 through verse 12 through verse 16. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare, for, to prepare the way for the kings from the east. So we got all these kings that are coming from the east, right? Now remember, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but we talked about that there were likely, if we're interpreting it correctly, there are likely three different battles that are major battles that are going to take place at the end times. The first battle was called Gog and Magog, and Ezekiel told us about it. And this is the battle to where... Enemies come from the north, and many people believe that that's going to be Russia uh, because it's going to be from north of Israel, and directly north of Israel is nothing but the Soviet Union. And so there are many people that believe if it took place in, uh, in today's times that it would be the Soviet Union that would ma uh, mount an attack on Israel in some way. But then the second battle here is the battle that takes place at the end of the tribulation. And Jesus comes back when... All of these kings gather together, led by the Antichrist, and they are mounting an attack on Israel. They want to destroy Israel. So that's what we're looking at right here. And so look at verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. And this is just visions that, that John is having, okay? And then verse 14, he says, For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so again, what we read about in chapter 19 is this great battle to where the Antichrist has mounted an attack against Israel and he has deceived all the kings of the world to come together for the purpose of attacking Israel. And at that moment, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes back with all the armies of heaven behind him and literally in a word, with the breath of his mouth is how John puts it, he destroys the Antichrist, he destroys all evil so that the only thing that is left at the end of Armageddon are believers. Believers that were saved during the tribulation. That's all that survives this. And then what we see take place next is that these believers enter into this kingdom that Jesus sets up, the thousand-year reign as we call it. And that's kind of what we're getting into tonight whenever we get into, verse, into chapter 20. So go with me now at chapter 20. And John says, and then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, 
holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. And he had a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is being bound right here, right? Now this is important because there are there are several, diff- several different ways that people interpret this thousand year period. And let me say this before I, before I give you our teaching on it. This is one of those areas that we can disagree on in churches and different religions, okay? This is, this is not a hill that we have to die on. The truth of the matter is most of us are going to stand before God one day after this and we're going to look back and go, boy, I got this wrong and I got this wrong and I got this wrong. I mean, think about it like this. When the Israelites, uh, the, the Jewish people that believed in Jesus after He came, and they looked back at the prophecies and they went, wow, that was really not what we were expecting, right? I mean, it was nothing like what they had interpreted it to be. And so what we're going to be able to see is we're going to get a few things right, and we're going to be able to, to get uh, as much of it as we can right. But it's not a hill that we have to die on. You understand? And so just because you disagree with someone else's, I'm going to use a big word here, but I'm going to call it eschatology, and that just simply means the study of end times, okay? That's all it means. And so you and I can differ on our study of eschatology, and it is not something that should divide us, all right? It's something we ought to be able to come together and look at, do the best we can to interpret, that, but understand that this hasn't happened yet as far as we know. And so we don't know how this is going to play out or how we're supposed to look at it. We're just doing the best we can with it, all right? Now, in that light, let me tell you, there are at least three different ways that people view this thousand-year period. So um, I am what you would call a premillennialist. all right? So if you ever hear that term, it just simply means this. I believe that Jesus is going to come back prior to this thousand-year period of reign on earth, all right? So I'm a pre-millennialist. Does that make sense? Jesus is going to come back, and He is going to set up the kingdom. He is going to rule over the kingdom, and then we are going to get to come into the kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay. But then you have post-millennialists. Post-millennialists basically believe that we are building the kingdom right now that they don't interpret the thousand years to be literal. I believe that you are supposed to interpret the Bible literal unless it gives you a reason to interpret it symbolically or metaphorically. Are you all following me? So like, for instance, when Jesus would would say, um, Israel is going to be like this fig tree. And when the fig... when, when he would use examples showing you that he's making a comparison and he's making a metaphor, then you can understand when he tells you the story about the fig tree, he's actually referring to something else. So in that, we know we are to translate this symbolically, okay? But I believe everything else, unless the Bible gives us a reason to interpret it symbolically, we should interpret it literally. And so I believe that there is going to be a literal 1,000 year reign on earth that Jesus is king over. And I believe when you go back in Isaiah and Ezekiel and many other passages and Daniel and you read about this, 
you see that this thousand year reign is going to look like this and this is what the result of it is going to be and that's what we're doing on Sunday morning right now, right? But a post-millennialist, they believe that Jesus will come after the thousand year reign. Does that make sense? So pre-millennial, Jesus is coming before, right? Post-millennial, Jesus is coming after. Now here's what a post-millennialist will believe. Post-millennialists will believe that we are building the kingdom right now. That the church is the kingdom. Now is that true? Yeah, the church is the kingdom. But they believe that this thousand year period is just a symbolic number. It could be um, 2,000 years. It could be 6,000 years. It's just a symbolic number that represents the age that the church is building the kingdom. And here's the problem with post-millennialism. They believe that the world is going to get better and better and better and better because we're building the kingdom and we are building this place to where there is going to be peace on earth and Jesus is going to reign, but we're building it and once the kingdom is built by the church, then Jesus is going to come back and then we're all going to give Him our crowns and He's going to rule over the kingdom that the church has built. Now, again, I'm not trying to be demeaning when I say this because we can disagree on this. But my problem with that is, do you see the world getting better and better? That's, that's my point. And again, I'm not trying to be demeaning. I'm not trying to knock somebody else for, for the way that they interpret this because it's not a hill we have to die on, okay? But, I, and here's another thing. Look at, look at Revelation 20 again before this thousand year reign. Let's read a few verses ahead. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So during this thousand year period, according to Revelation, Satan is supposed to be bound, right? If we're post-millennialist and we're building the kingdom now and we're in that symbolic thousand year period, you tell me, is Satan bound? (laughs) No, as a matter of fact, the New Testament teaches us that we're not to be ignorant of his devices, right? I think that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11. Um, The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 that Satan is the god of this age that he actually has rule over this world. And don't that make sense when you look around? Right? And so uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that Satan is like what kind of animal? A roaring lion going to and fro doing what? Seeking who he may devour. And so again, when I look at this, I can't help but look at those guys and say, you're missing it. Because if this is the thousand year period, how do you explain this, right? Well, then you also have a big group of people that I hold very dear to my heart. I follow a lot of their teachings. The Presbyterians fall under this role of R.C. Sproul. Sproul, there, There are many, many teachers that I respect very highly that are what they call amillennialists or amillennialists, I guess you could say. And basically, they're very similar to post-millennial. They still believe that we're, we are in the thousand-year reign basically right now and that we should just be looking at this thing as a symbolic, but that there's not actually going to be this kingdom. But instead, 
we're just to interpret it symbolically. The church is building the kingdom um, and then Jesus is one day going to come back and it's all going to be over and we're going to go into the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. And that's basically, uh, the, uh, that's a very, very simplified, summarized view of all millennialist. And so those are the three major views of a millennial teaching and a millennial understanding. But again, I believe that when we study Revelation, if we interpret it literally in all the places that are not specifically showing us, like for instance, there are many places that John would say, say I saw a great sign in heaven. Y'all remember a study in those passages? He'd say, I saw a great sign, and I saw this picture of a woman, and this dragon, and this... And we know that those are meant to be interpreted symbolically. He points it out to us. But in this particular instance, he doesn't say that. But instead, in chapter 20, verse 1, he says very plainly, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and he was holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and he had a great chain in his hand. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, and now we, can, we know he's talking symbolically here because look what he, he explains it to us. Who is what? The devil. So again, we, we can understand symbolically that we could look at the dragon and the ancient serpent. All John is trying to do is point us back to the Garden of Eden and remind us that this is the dude that t- goes all the way back to the beginning of the curse of the world. What you have? That's correct. Yeah. We, that's right. And we're, and, and we're just living in the age to where we're getting ready for that. That's right. But the thousand years is just a, a symbolic number that doesn't actually mean thousand years of Jesus reigning on earth. So again, I believe that when you look at Isaiah and all these other chapters, it, 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 that it should be interpreted literally. Now again... That's not a hill we have to die on, okay? This is just us studying it tonight, doing the best we can with it, and I really believe that this is the correct interpretation, but I say that with all humility, all right? It has. That's exactly right. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm which that represents a lot. That's right. And so again, I'm not saying that we can't be wrong and that, that, that this thousand is a symbolic number, but again, here's one thing I've learned about studying Scripture. When you look at the whole of Scripture, and not just what we read in, in Revelation here, but what Isaiah teaches on it in many chapters of Isaiah, and I'll probably take you through a lot of them this Sunday morning. Uh, what Ezekiel says about it in several places, what, um, what the minor prophets have to say about it in many different places. I think when you look at it as a whole, and, you, and here's the thing about doctrine. Doctrine is the final truth when all the given areas of teaching on any individual subject are brought together. That's where we form doctrine. We've gathered all the data, all the teachings on this particular subject from Genesis to Revelation, and when we look at it all and we get the final picture of it, this is how we establish doctrine. Well, this is the reason why I I settle in on a premillennialist view, because I believe that when you look at the whole of Scripture, 
that yes, there are some places that the thousand is absolutely a symbolic number. And at the same time, I believe that this here is, when you look at the whole of Scripture, it is a literal thousand years to where, honestly, the wolf and the lamb are going to lay down together. The, the child and the cobra are going to play together. Um, and when a man dies at a hundred, it'll be like him dying as an infant. You know, I mean, there, there are so many different things that the Bible... And, and again, we know he's not talking about the eternal state because will a man die at a hundred in eternal state? No. So he's got to be talking about another period of time. And so we take all of that and understand that he's talking about this thousand-year reign that Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom here on this earth. So let's read just a little bit further. Notice he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So for a thousand years, Satan is bound. And he threw him into the pit, and he shut it and sealed it over, over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Because remember, he deceived all the nations. He gathered all the kings together. They mounted an attack on Christ and his kingdom in Israel, and he lost. And now he's going to shut him up for a thousand years. And then notice what he says next. He says, until the thousand years were ended. So there is going to come an end of this thousand year period to where he's not going to keep Satan shut up anymore. But after that, it says, he must be released for a little while. Just a little while. And then... In verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life, and they reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. And this is repeated over and over again. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Um, the, uh, the church sits on thrones with Jesus for a thousand years. The people that died as martyrs in the um, tribulation come back to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. But then in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So you see what I'm saying? This has to be a literal period of 1,000 years that we're talking about right here that is going to take place and all of these events are going to happen. If we were actually talking about symbolically the eternal kingdom of God, we wouldn't be waiting a 1,000 years for the rest of the dead to come back to life. Uh, there wouldn't be a first resurrection and a second resurrection, which we're going to read about here in just a few minutes. But... Again, we'll get to all that here in just a few minutes. So I guess here's what you need to see. So why is Satan cast into, according to verse 3, why is Satan bound and cast into the pit? So Jesus is going to shut him down from being able to deceive anyone any longer. Now remember, there are still going to be sinners that are still alive on this earth when Jesus reigns during this thousand year period they are going to enter into this millennial kingdom with Him. All right, So there is still going to be sin on this earth. But the difference is going to be, uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Y'all turn there with me. 
Ecclesiastes is right before Song of Solomon, but right after Proverbs. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And look what he says in verse 11. It says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Did y'all catch that? So what happens because discipline is lacking, because judgment doesn't take place? What happens whenever you, you have a child that continues to get away with doing wrong and doing wrong and doing wrong? What happens to his heart? It hardens and it becomes set on continuing to do evil because the sentence is not carried out speedily. What you're going to have take place in the millennial kingdom is that you have Jesus reigning who, according to Isaiah, what we studied this last Sunday morning, you remember, He is going to judge with righteousness. It don't matter who you are, where you come from. You are going. Right is going to be right. Wrong is going to be wrong. It is going to take place uh, speedily. And so what you're going to have is you're going to have a rule on earth like we've never had before. You're going to have perfect justice during this period. And not just Jesus, but you have all the church reigning on thrones with Him as He promised in many scriptures. Like for instance, look with me at Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. Revelation 3, verse 21. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And then look with me if you would. At, well, let's, I skipped one. Look at Revelation 2, 26. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And so that's just one of, let me just read the rest of them to you. Daniel chapter 7, verse 18, verse 22, verse 27, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. The point is this. The Scriptures teach us that the church and the Christian people, the saints, are going to rule with Jesus. And so we are going to have the same perfect justice because we're going to come back in glorified form and we're going to rule and reign with Him during this time. The the ones that were beheaded are going to rise back to life. They're going to rule and reign with Him. And so this is what we see take place in this kingdom. And Satan is bound, but there are still sinful hearts. And how many of you know that you can't blame Satan for everything that you do? 
You know, I was praying this morning and I usually say the Lord's Prayer before I get into any other request or anything else. I just go through the Lord's Prayer. And you know, the last part of the Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, I stopped in the middle of that and I said, lead us not into temptation because, Lord, I can find that all by myself. <laughs> and I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. And so during this time period, yes, sir. Absolutely. But the believers even, you know, the believers that are going in there, the only reason they weren't destroyed is because they didn't take the mark of the beast. They weren't mounting an attack and following the leaders of the world and the Antichrist to try to uh, go to war against Christ and His people, right? And so you've got these believers that are coming in there with still sinful hearts, just like me and you right now. And then you have, they're going to repopulate this kingdom. Now you can imagine when you have no fertility problems because the Bible talks about um, uh, the health is going to be widespread during this time. Um, widespread health for all people during this time. And so when you have absolutely no fertility problems and when Jesus is the one that is feeding and making sure that you have everything, food and drink and, and provision and everything else, because why is it that people only have a couple of kids today or one kid today? Because they think to themselves, you know, if I have this many, but you know, back in the day when people didn't have to think that much about that and they provided from the farm and everything else, how many kids do people have? So you can imagine during this time when all of that burden is gone and when Jesus is ruling and reigning and when people can have as many children as they want, can you imagine how fast this earth is going to populate itself? All right? And so that's exactly what you've got going on during this thousand years kingdom. But Satan is bound. So I want to get to the part that I asked you about last week. So Satan is bound for a thousand years. But then it says, after the thousand years, he's going to be released for a little while. God, why in the world are you going to let that rascal go? Right? Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Okay, all right. I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. The sin and and that. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's right. They have lived in heaven on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's right. To his deeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Today. Come on. That's right. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Okay. Okay, that's right. So what? So uh, right. So why um why would God let Satan loose? <laughs> Well, you know, remember in the um, in chapter nineteen, verse twenty, the antichrist and the false prophet. Notice the beast was captured. That's the antichrist. With it, the false prophet that was the preacher for the antichrist that was convincing the world to worship him. Right, and it says he was in the presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword. Talking about the rest of the people that followed, the kings of the earth, all of the evil ones, all right? They were killed by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. In other words, the birds had a great feast, right? All right? So... The beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire. Where was Satan thrown when he was bound? That's right. He was thrown in what I believe is the same thing as hell. I believe that basically what we've got here, and let me show you why I believe that. Look with me at, um, let me find the scripture. I know I wrote it down. That's right. Look at Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two, verse four, starting in verse four. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So here's what you see in that. God has committed certain demons, certain fallen angels, to a holding place that He calls right here hell. Now this is where some of the uh, Catholics 
teach the um, purgatory. All right? I don't believe that's a correct teaching on this. I do believe that there is a holding place for the ungodly. I don't believe you're going to be able to pray someone out of there. I don't believe you're going to be able to escape from this place once you're there. I believe you're held here until the day of eternal judgment. Until the final day. That's correct. The Jews, the Jews called it Hades being the place of the dead, all right? And then the Jews called paradise. That's the reason why Jesus told that man, the thief on the cross, today you shall be with me where? In paradise. They believed that that was the bosom of Abraham, all right? That basically they called it that. You remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? You remember whenever um, Lazarus, the beggar, died, where did he go? To the bosom of Abraham. And he could, the, the, the rich man on the other hand died and went to Hades. And so he lifted up his eyes from Hades. And remember, he just wanted just a drop of water to quench his tongue. Um, he wanted somebody to go back and tell his brothers, don't come to this place. In other words, once you get to that place, it's too late. There's nothing you can do about that. The, right now is the only time, and that's what Jesus told. That's what he told the the uh, rich man. He said they have Moses and the prophets. If they won't tell, if they won't listen to him, they're not going to believe Lazarus just because he comes back from the dead. Um, you, you have the word of God, is what he's saying. You either believe this and you believe it now, or you don't believe it, and you will be cast to this place until the final day of judgment. You'll also remember, look with me at, uh, let's look at a few other scriptures to back that up. Look with me at um, Jude, let's go to Matthew chapter 8 first. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 verse 29. And this is what the demons said to... um, to Jesus whenever he was going to cast them out. And behold, the demons cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, Send us away into the herd of pigs. And y'all know the story here. Here's the point that we're seeing. The demons were scared senseless that Jesus was going to send them to the place of torment before the time. In other words, there are some demons that God, that have been so bad that God has cast them to this bottomless pit, to this place of hell, to be kept in chains until the day of judgment. Look at another scripture with me. Look at Matthew, since we're in Matthew, look at Matthew 25, verse 41. Because you're going to see where the final place is. Matthew 25, verse 41. And this is at the great white throne judgment. But look what he says. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared 
for the devil and his angels. So eternal fire, the lake of fire, is a place that's prepared for them to spend eternity in. And there are going to be other wicked ones and sinners that are going to be cast into there as well. Look with me now at Jude, the book, book right before Revelation. Jude, and it's only one chapter, so we'll look at just one verse. Jude verse 6. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So again, here's the point that Jude was making. Angels and all sinners that do not fall under the blood of Jesus or by faith in God, when they die, they go to a holding place called hell, Hades, called um, a place of torment, the place of outer darkness is what Jesus called it, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of um, where the worm never dies. He, he, he described it in so many different ways. But then it tells us that there is going to be a final judgment, an eternal judgment that is going to look like what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it is going to be an eternal fire that has already been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now go back with me to Revelation 20 and you'll see this in verse 7. We're not going to finish this this week, but we'll at least get a little bit, get halfway through it. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and here he references back to that first battle that it's going to look like that. He is going to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So the earth, in that thousand years, the earth is really repopulated, right? And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So in other words, it was over as fast as it started. But then look at verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we see the same thing take place in verse 11 at the great white throne judgment. Uh, where they're thrown into it at the same place. So again, here's what I'm saying. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. After the battle of Armageddon and the thousand year reign begins, an angel comes down, takes a chain just like these other angels. He binds Satan. He puts him into the bottomless pit and he shuts the, the, the lid over top of it. And for a thousand years, he's not able to deceive anyone and Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. But during this time, the earth is being repopulated again with people with the same kind of hearts that you and I have. The only difference is Jesus rules and reigns over it, so it, everything is took care of speedily. And so this is going to be a, uh, a very good place to live during this time, all right? 
But at the end of that thousand years, the Bible tells us that Satan is going to be released. And I believe, again, the answer to the question is, we don't know exactly why Satan is going to be released, why God does it, but we can speculate. And that's what we're doing tonight. But my speculation is this. Because the world is so full of sinners still, because, you know, the question that my... The question that I ask is not, why does God let Satan back out? The question I ask is, why the thousand years? Why not just go straight to heaven, right? And here's the answer to that. God has promised Abraham's seed, the chosen people, and that's what's going to be the majority of it during this time because the majority of the ministry during the tribulation time is to the Jews. Y'all remember us going through Revelation? It's the time of Jacob's trouble is what Daniel said, all right? And so during this time, there are going to be many Jews and God has already promised that He is going to bless them with a promised land, with a kingdom, with a land flowing with milk and honey. He is going to have a king that is going to sit on the throne of David and rule over them um, forever and ever and ever. And so during this thousand years, it is my belief that God is fulfilling His promise to the, the chosen ones, to the seed of Israel. Now you remember, if you've been in my Wednesday night study for long, we looked at that for a time, God has hardened the hearts of Israel, right? God has blinded their eyes. Y'all remember that? All right. But there is going to come a time that He lifts that blindness when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Look with me if you would at... Um, Real quick, Romans chapter 11. We won't spend much time here. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. Again, this is where we get doctrine from. We see what the whole of Scripture has to say about these subjects. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul says, Lest you be wise in your own sight. He's talking to Gentiles here. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So a hardening has took place over Israel right now. Abraham's seed. A blindness has come over their eyes so that they don't believe in Jesus. They're not following Jesus until the fullness of people like you and I come in. Alright? But then look what's going to happen in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer, talking about Jesus, will come from Zion and He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, or Israel here, And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election or God's chosen people, they are beloved for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, God is going to fulfill His promise to Israel. Now you look at Israel. Has God fulfilled that yet? Has Israel got to live in this 
promised land that flows with milk and honey that the king of David rules over and there's peace in it and the lamb and the lion lay down together? Has has any of that took place? No. And so we are looking for that day when Jesus comes back, sets His feet down in Zion and He sets up His kingdom. Many Jews that are believers during this time, the hardness of their heart is lifted, the blindness of their eyes is lifted, The Bible tells us in Zechariah that they look on the one in whom they pierce and they believe in Him. And then they go into this kingdom for a thousand years and God fulfills His promise to the chosen people. And then at the end of that thousand years, at the end of that promise, because there are still sinners on this earth, He allows Satan to come out for just a little while longer. So the reason He... Don't throw Satan in the eternal fire like he did the Antichrist and the beast is because he still has a reason for him. He still has purpose for him. And so he sets him in this bottomless pit for a thousand years. And after his promises to all Israel are fulfilled during that time because his focus is on the church age right now, right? That's where his focus is. But there is coming a day when his focus turns back to Israel to Abraham's seed. I know this is a little confusing, but are you getting at least the gist of it? Okay. (laughs) And so at the end of that thousand years, whenever God finally says, my promises are fulfilled to Israel, my gifts and callings were irrevocable, but I have done everything that I said I was going to do to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I have fulfilled all my promises then he is going to, at the end of that thousand years, release Satan to deceive the nations one more time and all the sinfulness and all the evil, it'll be just like it was before, they will either choose to believe or not to believe. And if they follow Satan, then in just as quick as it started, that rebellion is ended. And then we get ready to go to the great white throne judgment. And so next week, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at... um, the different judgments. Are there different judgments? What are there? Di- what are the different judgments? So if y'all want to do a little study on that, that's what we'll talk about. And we're going to talk about um, the resurrections. How many resurrections are there? Um, is there one resurrection? Is there two resurrections? When do they take place? All right. So next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at that because that's what we're looking at. If you'll look with me at uh, verse... Um, Where did I find that at? Verse 6. Actually, yeah, verse 6 of chapter 20. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So we're going to talk about what is the first death, what is the second death, who experiences the first death, who experiences the second death, Um, What is the first resurrection? What is the second resurrection? And I want Scripture to back it up. So if you come in here and you tell me that there is only one resurrection, tell me where you gather that from. If you come in here and you tell me there are two resurrections, tell me me where you gather that from. Tell me when they take place. And, And we're going to look at what the Scriptures has to say about all those places. All right. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it does, don't it? It does. Um, 
they would disagree with you because it's a work of faith. And so ultimately they believe they're, they're, just, they're just working out their faith is all they're doing. Um, and, and I could even agree with that. But, um, but I can't agree with the things like Satan being bound for uh, a thousand years. Satan is not bound right now. I can't agree with it because the world is not getting better and better and better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. So, um, you know, anyway, that's, that's some of my takes on it. Any other questions? All right. I hope I didn't confuse you too bad. If, uh, if you got confused on anything, come see me afterwards and we'll, we'll look at what the, what the Bible says about it and we'll figure out how to get you unconfused.